0: Alrighty, let's recap from two weeks ago. So this is part two of our series on Revelation called The Last Word. So two weeks ago, James preached brilliantly from Revelation 1. And the Apostle John is exiled on the island of Patmos. And it says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now that I don't know whether that's some kind of mystical spiritual experience or something more practical, I don't know. But whatever it was, he was in the Spirit, and it was on the Lord's Day, and he heard a voice behind him, and it said that the voice was like a trumpet. It was like the sound of the shofar, the blowing of the ram's horn. And he turned around and he saw this incredible prophetic vision of one like a son of man, whose feet were like fire, whose hair was like wool. And it says that... He heard this voice and he turned round and he saw seven golden lampstands or seven menorahs or menorah in Hebrew. Revelation one twenty, it said that the lamps, the seven golden lampstands were the seven churches. And interesting to me that the churches were symbolized by the golden lampstand, something that gave off a lot of light rather than the cross like it is these days. So the seven golden lampstands that John sees are the seven letters to the seven, church, sorry, the, the seven churches. And there are seven letters that Jesus sends to each, to each church in that area. And to each one, it begins with a commendation. You're doing this brilliantly. And you're doing that brilliantly, but I have this against you and I want you to change this, I want you to change that, I want you to do these things. But the last two of these seven letters, there is no commendation. It's only rebuke. It's only, these are the things I want to correct. And so we come to the letter to the church in this place called Laodicea. And let me talk a little bit about what Laodicea was like. It was 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia. It was the meeting place of three intersecting highways, and it was a thriving center of commerce. It had in it public baths, it had stadiums. When I think of stadiums, I'm thinking of like Solaire's Park, heaving with 26,000 people, or you know other stadiums, even bigger than that. It had a shopping center, it had many wealthy bankers, Many millionaires, it had a medical school specializing in the healing of the eyes. They actually were famous for producing a kind of eye salve, eye ointment, that was for the healing of the eyes. It was also really famous for, they had these garments of black, they had this luxurious and exotic black wool. So everybody, because they were so well off, they all walked around clothed in black. So they, walked, they had these tunics of black soft wool. But one thing that they lacked, even though they were so well-off materialistically, they didn't have a good water supply. So their water supply came from two different places. It came, one came from uh, a place in the north that had hot springs. So it was really, really hot, and it flowed from that place in the north to Laodicea but by the, by the time it reached Laodicea it was lukewarm and to the southeast there was another water supply flowing down from a mountain that was cold and refreshing and again by the time it got to Laodicea it was lukewarm so you had these two water supplies one hot one cold both flowing in but both becoming lukewarm by the time it got to, La- to Laodicea and if you try to drink this lukewarm water, it would literally make you throw up. You would literally vomit it out of your mouth. You would spit it out, basically. So Laodicea. They could buy anything they wanted. They were well-off. They were materialistic. They were prosperous. They needed nothing. They could have anything they wanted. They lacked nothing materially. Arguably... And I say arguably, because this could be quite controversial, you could say that this particular church in Laodicea is the closest to the church in the West. I'll leave you to think about that yourselves. And the church, like the city itself, enjoyed a high degree of comfort and prosperity. But their self-sufficiency and thinking, we don't really need, why, why do we need God? Because we've got everything we need you know, that lukewarmness resulted in a diminished zeal and passion and fire for God and for the things of his kingdom. And it was in that atmosphere that the church existed. And like the church, the letter to the church in Sardis, which also had no commendation, the church in Laodicea, there was nothing good that Jesus had to say about it. So, To the angel of the church in Laodicea comes this letter from Jesus Christ, the Almighty One. He says, I am the Amen. One of the most universally well-known words that we know, it comes from a Hebrew word that means to believe or to be faithful. It means to be sure, to be true, an expression of absolute trust and absolute confidence. I am the amen. I am the one who is true. I am the one who is faithful. I am the one in whom you can believe. I am the one who is sure. I am the one in whom you can have absolute trust and confidence. He says, I am the faithful and the true witness. I am the trustworthy one. I am the one who is loyal, faithful, and dependable. I am the true witness. I am the real thing. I am the authentic one. I am the true expression of God who is absolutely over all things, who is absolutely trustworthy. He says, I am the ruler of God's creation. He says, I am the beginning. I am the origin. I am the head. I'm the chief. I'm the starting point. I am the summit. I am over all things. The one who rules completely, totally, utterly over all of God's creation. And Laodicea is the seventh church to receive a letter. Seven biblically speaks of completion. But like I said before, there was no praise, no commendation, nothing that Jesus looked at to say, you're doing this brilliantly. Nothing, only rebuke only uh, only wanting to correct and he says i know your deeds i perceive and i see and i discern i see not just what's going on outwardly not just the outward appearance but the heart and the motives of the heart i perceive your deeds those things that you're occupied all your activity All the stuff that you're doing, I see it, I perceive it, I know what is motivating the things that you're doing. And he says, I see your deeds, and I see that you're neither hot, nor are you cold, but you are lukewarm. Just like those water supplies, one was hot originally, one was cold originally, but by the time they flowed into Laodicea, They were lukewarm. He says, you're like that. He's using imagery and things that they can understand. He's using words and things that they can understand from everyday life. He says, you are neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. You are indifferent. You're complacent. You're a Christian, and people know you're a Christian, but you're making no difference at all to those around you. You have all these magnificent achievements through your own strength, through your own effort. You want to please people more than you want to please God. You're lacking in enthusiasm and zeal and passion and fire and energy. You're living for yourself, but you're not for God. You're putting yourself first and you're not putting God first. You're living for personal pleasure And you're building your own kingdom. You're not building the kingdom of God. Jesus says, you're neither hot nor cold. Greek word for hot means boiling hot, fervent and zealous. That they were known as Christians, but it didn't make any difference to those around them who weren't Christians. And Jesus says, it's better to be either boiling hot or cold To be completely all in or totally against and opposed to, but don't be somewhere stuck in the middle, neither hot nor cold, but just lukewarm, neither in one place or another. Don't be tepid. Don't be lukewarm. And even though you've acquired much wealth materialistically and you say that you don't need anything, why would you need God when you've got everything you need and you're self-sufficient? But I say that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and shamefully naked. And it says, because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I, I think the, I reckon the translators took a politeness tablet when they translated that, because it actually means literally to vomit you out of my mouth. It means that the taste of that water that is lukewarm and tepid is so disgusting that I just spit it out my mouth. Jesus is saying, either be all in or be all out, but don't be somewhere in the middle. Don't be lukewarm. Are you 100% sold out for the kingdom of God or are you somewhere on the other side opposed to it, but don't be somewhere in between, neither hot nor cold? The church in Laodicea said, we are rich, We don't need anything. They were saying, we have no lack. We have everything we need. They had a false sense of self-sufficiency. And that subtle corruption of believing that lie led to a lack of zeal, lack of passion, lack of hotness, lack of fire for the things of God. And Jesus says some stuff which is not very nice. (laughs) He says... You say you're rich, but I say you are wretched. Your hearts have become hard and calloused. You have an insensitive disregard for others because you think you're rich. You say that you're rich and you don't need anything, but I say you are miserable. You are to be pitied. You say we are rich and we don't need anything, but I say you're poor. You're destitute spiritually, you're helpless spiritually, you're powerless spiritually, and you're needy spiritually. You say we're rich and we don't need a thing, but I say you're blind. You can't see properly. It's as if you're walking around in a smoke screen. You just can't see properly or clearly. You see maybe partially, but you certainly don't perceive or understand the things of God and the things of the Spirit. You say we're rich and we don't need anything, but I say you're naked, you're exposed, you're vulnerable, you're laid bare spiritually. And Jesus says, I counsel you, not I command you, interestingly, but I advise you. He gives the Laodicean church an invitation. What do you do with an invitation? You either say, yes, I accept your invitation, or you say, no, thanks. You know, I, We were invited to a friend's 70th birthday party and I had to decline the invitation. That was my choice. That was my uh, thing that I did intentionally. Jesus says, I, ca- I counsel you to buy from me. I counsel you to buy something from me. Using language that they would understand using a language that was materialistic and, and perceiving things through the mindset of monetary value and materialistic things. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Let yourself become refined through the fiery furnace of affliction and trials. Jesus was appealing to the psychology of a people who measured everything in terms of money and materialism. He's saying, I counsel you. You think you're rich and you don't need anything, but buy gold from me refined in the fire. Go through the furnace of affliction and trials and persecutions. Be on fire, be fiery, set yourself on fire. I think it was Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, who said, I set myself on fire and I let other people watch me burn. And Jesus says, do all these things so that you can become truly rich, not just materialistically rich, but spiritually rich, abundant spiritually, overflowing with blessings, not just spiritual but also physical and materially, materialistically, so that you can be abundantly and extravagantly generous to give away the abundance that you have, particularly to the poor. I've been, reading a lot of, uh, I've been reading through the book of Proverbs recently. There's a lot of proverbs that say when we give to the poor, we are honoring our maker, we are honoring God. Here's a really good quote that I found The church in Laodicea failed to find in Christ the true source of all wealth, splendor, and vision. Let me repeat that. The church in Laodicea failed to find in Christ the true source of all wealth, splendor, and vision. Jesus counseled them to say, buy for yourselves white clothes to wear. You know, they were all walking around in these luxurious tunics of black soft wool, but he says, get white clothes to wear, symbolizing righteousness, purity, holiness like the garments of angels, so that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, so that the shame of your na- nakedness may not be made manifest to other people, may not be exposed, may not be made to be seen by everybody, may not to be exposed in full view of everybody looking on. He says, get for yourselves I self. And they would recognize that because they were known for this healing school that produced this wonderful eye salve for the healing of the eyes. So I got somebody met said to me after the, this morning's service, it's a bit like having cataracts. Now, I've never had cataracts, fortunately. And when I went for my last eye test, he said, yeah, you're about 10 years away from that. So I was very grateful for that. But I know people that have, and they said, when you have your cataracts done, it's like you see things completely Differently, and when the cataracts are over your eyes, everything is so dull you cannot see properly. And Jesus says, Get I self so that you can see properly and not just see what's in front of you, not just see in the physical, but to see and perceive and understand and discern because they had lost their spiritual perception. And then he says something really, really interesting. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. The very fact that Jesus rebukes and disciplines the church in Laodicea is evidence that he loves them and they're not beyond hope. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. I rebuke. I convict by bringing things into the light, I call to account. I chasten and I reprove. Those whom I love, I discipline. I teach them and I correct them. I just kind of adjust the path that you're on. It says in Hebrews 12 that we've all had fathers who disciplined us and even though it, wasn't, it didn't feel great at the time, later on it produced a harvest of righteousness. And the very fact that Jesus rebukes The church in Laodicea is evidence that he still loves her and he still loves his people and that they're not beyond hope. And he says, therefore, be zealous. Let it be like Jesus said, that zeal for your house consumes me. Set yourself on fire and let other people watch you burn. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be 100% sold out for him and the things of the kingdom of God. He says, be earnest and repent. The Greek word for, for repent is metanoia. It means to change your mind, change your inner self, change your old way of thinking. Literally, turn around and go in a different direction. There's a Hebraic concept of repentance called teshuvah. And it basically means that Usually when we get into sin or deviate from the path of God, we've stopped looking at him. We've stopped focusing on Jesus. We've stopped putting our gaze and attention on the greatness of God and who he is, what he's done for us, which is why thankfulness and gratitude is so important because we call to mind and remember all the wonderful things that he's done for us. But we so easily lose our focus and look at different things. Teshuva is look back again, look back at the greatness of God, remember who he is and remember who you are in the context of how great God is and return in love. Repent, return in love. And he says, I stand at the door and knock and if anybody hears, I'll come in. He is waiting at the door of our hearts, church, family, community, whatever it may be, waiting to be invited in, waiting to be given permission to come in. He doesn't just barge his way in uninvited. We have the choice with any invitation. Do we want to accept it? Do we want to not accept it? And if anybody hears, if anybody perceives and hears and discerns what is being said in the presence of God Hear my voice and open the door. Make it an intention. Make it an act of will. Make it a choice. Does he have an open door in our lives? And he says, if you do this, I'll come and eat with you and you can eat with me. The metaphor of a meal speaks of intimacy and fellowship and communion and oneness and closeness. It means if we open that door and he comes in, Jesus Christ will be truly, intimately, wholly, totally, completely, fully present with anyone who invites him in. And to he who overcomes will be given the ability to sit on his throne with him. He who prevails and grabs hold of the victory, who holds fast to their faith, even in the midst of really bad times, trials, persecutions and afflictions. We'll sit on the throne with him. We stand in really, really interesting times where the times we're living in right now will be written about in history. Change of a monarch for 70 years, lockdown, global pandemic. These are things that have never happened before in our lifetime, probably for most of us. These are historic times. What kind of church are we going to be in these historic times, in this new season, in this new day, with this new door opening will we be those who prevail and it says he who has an ear let him hear not just hear but perceive and understand all right just coming in to land now let me read you the passion translation of this same scripture and then I've got a couple of questions just to ask this is what it says in the Passion Translation, which should be coming... I think we've got slides, but there you go. Uh, Write the following to the messenger of the congregation in Laodicea, for these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know all that you do, and I know that you are neither frozen in apathy nor fervent with passion. How I wish you were either one or the other, But because you are neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, I am about to spit you out out from my mouth. For you claim I'm rich and getting richer. I don't need a thing. Yet you're clueless that you're miserable, poor, blind, barren, and naked. So I counsel you to buy, to purchase gold perfected by fire so that you can be truly rich. Purchase a white garment to cover and clothe your shameful Adam nakedness. Purchase eye salve to be placed over your eyes so that you can truly see. All those I dearly love, I unmask and train. So repent and be eager to pursue what is right. Behold, I'm standing at the door knocking. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door within, I will come into you and feast with you. And you will feast with me. And to the one who conquers, I will give the privilege of sitting with me on my throne, just as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. The one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully to what the Spirit is saying now to the churches. Now would you want to come up and give me a nice pad or something? Next slide, here's a great quote that I found that says the only cure for being lukewarm is the readmission of the excluded Christ. In other words, just to let him back in again. And here's three questions for us this morning. And as always, there's always an invitation. There's always the offer of a beautiful love gift from the Lord. To us and whether we accept it or not is obviously our choice and our, our 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 intention question number one if jesus was writing a letter to pearly baptist church this today or this week or to the church in croydon what would he say what would he find that was commendable what would he find that was not commendable Second question, are we hot, cold or lukewarm? Are we 100% totally sold out for God and for his kingdom or are we completely the opposite or are we somewhere in the middle? If you're not in the location you wanna be, then change it. And the last question, is our door open does he have an invitation come on in